Web3 is creating an entirely new stock market with all the technology we've built since then. And these new stocks are assets called cryptocurrencies. That's a way to think about this. So if you're still thinking about what is crypto, what's crypto, basically just think about it's a whole new stock market. And some of the stocks are more like currencies. Others are essentially ownership in a company. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiBiazza checking in with you. So happy to have you. And uh, look, today I wanted to share with you basically my manifesto. We might even might even call this episode the manifesto. I think that there is something uh, quite necessary in talking about everything that the New Wave encompasses. The reason why I started this show, the reason why I'm building this platform it's for a very specific purpose. I want to prepare us for the future. If you've been following me for a while, for the last few years, uh, you know that my my start at this journey point in, in online, you know, significance, if, it, if there is any significance to me online, it was through my platform called Rich 20 Something. We had a whole book out. There was uh, an entire community built around that. And that was the beginning of my awakening that we can, you know, take our, our destiny into our own hands. But at that time, I was really only thinking economically. That was me in my early 20s, just wanting to feel like I had some autonomy over my life and my career. And now I see the scope as being a bit bigger. I see it not just as being my career per se, but my life. And uh, especially with the different elements that have happened in the past uh, X amount of years, you know, since 2020 and probably even a little bit before that, I felt like there's a way of adapting to the changes that isn't just about getting crushed by the wave. It's about learning how to surf. Even if you think about the things that happened in America and the world before this, whether you're thinking about the 2008 crisis, you're thinking about the Great Depression, these are all things that are told with such horror and such, uh, you know, such um, pain. And I think that collectively, there is a lot of that through these periods, but I think individually, we can learn how to manage and how to navigate these times. Uh, and I, this might sound arrogant, but I would say that if you are doing your jobs you know, for yourself, for your health, for your family, you can greatly mitigate or if not, not even completely eliminate a lot of the, the pain that comes through even great recessions. There's always a way to pull yourself up, even through great health crisis and health scares, there's always ways to keep yourself as healthy as possible. And there's never any uh, there's never any guarantee, but I think that there's a lot we can do. So I wanted to talk to you about what my vision for the new wave is today, what this manifesto uh, contains, and just, and just help you dive in. Now, keep in mind, this is something that I've written previously, so I'm going to leave the link to this in the description to the show. And um, all that I would ask is that as I'm reading this, you, you just tap into the voice my voice, you listen to what I'm saying. And of course, I'm going to um, I'm going to change some of the words because as I'm adapting this from the page to the spoken version, there will be some some obvious changes like when I say reading this article versus listening to my voice. Other than that, it's been un unchanged and unabridged. So let's get into it. This is the new wave manifesto. Oh, 
before I jump into that, make sure you subscribe to the show <laughs> on whatever podcast you're listening to this on. Because if I don't do that, then the sponsors say, hey, you didn't say you didn't say subscribe. Make sure that you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com and you sign up for our email list because sometimes the YouTubes and the Facebooks and Instagrams of the world don't let you know that I've updated the show. But our email list sends it out every single day. And of course, make sure you leave a comment and you like and you subscribe on whatever platform you love listening. Okay, that's it. Now we're going to jump in to the essay. Well, here we are. It's been nearly five years since I've regularly produced content for an audience outside of my thoughts on social media occasionally, and I've always felt like it's home, coming back to the studio, having a blank page in front of me, that blinking cursor, that open mic uh, really brings a familiar catalyst of self-discovery for me. And now, more than ever, I feel compelled to speak up about changes that are happening in the world not as a guru or as a wise man with the answers, but as a friend and as a son and as a brother and hopefully one day soon a father. And today, I'm going to explain to you exactly why I've decided to come back writing and producing content for you regularly and what's in store for you. So let's jump in. Okay, this is the new wave. Let's first get some context going here. The world has changed big time since I started writing online in 2010, okay? At that time, or during that time, we've seen in the U.S., three presidents cycle in. We've seen the meteoric rise of social media as a way to connect with each other 24-7, along with all the stress that that can bring. We have seen the rise of online entrepreneurs as a new type of aspirational figure. We've seen the boom and bust cycle of the global economy and the appearance of cryptocurrency on the radar of the average Joe. We've seen riots and bombs and chaos and lots of scary things happening all over the world with the, with the sensationalized media that we no longer fully understand or trust. We've seen global lockdowns and a pandemic which has lasted nearly two years and counting, one that's forced us to rethink how we live and work. So much has changed in the last decade, and I can't help but think that we're just at the first drop on this cosmic roller coaster. So that's why when I sit down to write at the computer or I sit down to record something, it's hard for me to pretend like it's just business as usual, because it's not. And every conversation I have with family and close friends has in the context of, or is in the context of how we plan to operate in this new world. You know, well, maybe not every conversation, but a lot of them. And it's made me think about the changes that we'll have to make in order to thrive with everything that's being thrown at us. And this is where the concept of the new wave comes into play. So let's talk about it. What is the new wave? Hmm. Well, if you're watching it on the YouTube version of this right now, you'll see I have my new wave hoodie on right now. But it's more than just merch. This is the philosophy of the ocean, really is, is where I get the philosophy from. The ocean is a great teacher. And the more time you spend in it, the more you realize how powerless you really are. You see, you can't really, you can try. Well, you can try. You can try to fight against the current, but you're ultimately going to get sucked out to sea. And your job is to adapt to what the ocean is giving you, not wishing that the waves are smaller. You know, it's, it's really about reading the waves and going in the direction that the wave is already going and then forming your own path in that direction. The ocean is, ocean is brutal, man. Like I've been to the Pacific and the Atlantic and the Indian and they're all just, you know, they're really beautiful, but you have to have a lot of respect. And as our economy and our society goes through an upheaval, many of your friends and family will be fighting for things to say the same, just like a surfer who wished the waves were different. And they'll be wishing for things to go back to normal. And they're going to hope that the waves of tomorrow will look like the waves of yesterday. And I'm here to tell you that's a losing battle. And your job is to look at the tidal wave of change that's coming straight for our generation and learn how to surf. 
And now is the time to get prepared and begin developing sovereignty in all the most important areas of our lives. So I'm going to talk about what those four areas are. And of course, what I mention here in terms of you creating positive changes, it's always yes and, and it's always do your own research. So whatever I say isn't the exhaustive list of what would be useful for you. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't also do your research on what's right for you. But of course, this is all opinion-based stuff. And I, I generally, you, you know my mindset at this point. My mindset is pretty much like, I want everyone to be happy and healthy. I don't really care about political divisions. I mostly think that government and politics are interested in control and money. Uh, I want us to be free and happy and protect, you know, protect ourselves physically, mentally, financially, emotionally. I think these are all general things that we share. So if those are, uh, if those are characteristics that you resonate with or that resonate with you, then I think that you're going to be on the same page with me. But here are the four specific areas that I want to talk about uh, and when it comes to developing sovereignty. And we'll talk about even what sovereignty means, but it's technological sovereignty, it's, it's financial sovereignty, personal sovereignty, and then you have mental and spiritual sovereignty. Now, first, I mean, let's, let's even talk about that a little bit more. Like, what does sovereignty mean? To me, it just means the ability to act, the ability to make decisions for yourself, the ability to, uh, to progress unimpeded in your place, field, you know, or decision of choice. And so there are different strata of society or different layers of society, the technological layers, the financial layers, the personal layers, the, the spiritual layers. And we just need to be able to move between those, you know, and inside those with our own discretion. We don't want to have necessarily outside forces that's telling us well, we can't use our technology this way or we can't, uh, we can't use our money this way. We can't, we can't uh, treat ourselves or our health this way. We want, we want to have autonomy and, and, and sovereignty. So that's, we'll talk about it a bit more, but those are my general understandings of it the way that I use it. So let's talk tech sovereignty and talk about how the new wave relates to that. From my perspective, that is really where Web 3.0 and blockchain technology comes into play. And if you're a millennial, you were a baby for Web 1.0 or you were, you were, I was a young child for Web 1.0. Web 1.0, we're talking, if you really want to get to the nuts and bolts of it, it's in the late 80s and probably before that too, the internet was a thing that was created by the military and like most military technologies or many military technologies, it became a consumer-grade technology. Um, but the internet as we know it, probably like starting with American Online, is early 90s, right? And you, if you're a millennial, were a teen for the explosion of 2.0, which would be um, everything from, I would say, early days of, every days of, early days of Facebook to basically where we are now. We're, I would say we're closer to Web 2.5 now. And we've been mostly on the sidelines during the biggest opportunities to build and make money from these massive shifts. You know, Web 1.0, we didn't have bank accounts. Uh, Web 2.0, we were just graduating high school and maybe not even uh, aware of the opportunity. But now, a new and a more powerful internet is forming in front of our eyes in the form of Web 3.0. And Web 3.0 promises a shift back to the decentralized ideal of the early internet days with speed, anonymity, and data security at the forefront of an entirely new experience. And this is going to come in several forms, one of the biggest being the advent of blockchain technology across multiple industries. Now, I did a, an in-depth uh, podcast on Web3 and its implications, and you can check that out. That was actually episode two of this show, um, but we can give some more details here, and you can dive deeper later if you want, and I'll put the links to that episode in the show notes. But what is blockchain? Well, if you remember, Web 1.0 uh, was like, you know, remember those peer-to-peer -peer networks? 
Kazaa, Napster, BearShare, LimeWire. These were scandalous at that time because they enabled individual users to share music and data and other digital assets across a network of connected computers without the need for a central hub. And the powerful media agencies of the day were scared of this technology because it fundamentally undercut their ability to monetize content and intellectual property. And they were right to be afraid. P2P networks played a big part in taking down the record industry because users didn't want to pay for albums when they could download individual songs. And this was a fatal blow that major companies uh, never really recovered from and are honestly still reckoning with today. And blockchain is essentially the P2P of the future. This technology, originally created for Bitcoin, is a network of individual computers that allows users to quickly and, and anonymously transmit data and digital assets and even currency in a secure way that can be verified for everybody on the network to see. And in my, uh, in my, in my essay of this manifesto, I have some pretty good videos and some pretty good explainers that will help you to visualize this concept. But the nuts and bolts of it is that blockchain will eventually allow the average person to take control of their data uh, and take that control back without relying on big institutions to hold it for them. Now, this doesn't mean that there won't be a use for custodial accounts anymore. It doesn't mean that all banks are going to go away. It just means that we're going to have the option to not necessarily hold our money in banks. And I'm sure that you could think of some, some, some times or some use cases where that might be useful, can't you? This will shake up banking and personal communication and media and entertainment more. And yeah, that's something also a point to make. It's not just banking. It's everything from having more control over the data that gets out uh, about your personal life on the internet to having more control of your money to all those different types of things. If you could securely uh, store, send and receive money, why would you need Wells Fargo? If you could privately send messages without Google snooping over your shoulder, wouldn't you want to? If you could buy something online without the fear of identity theft or getting hacked, wouldn't that be better? The full scope of the applications are unknown at this point, but it's safe to say that everything will change. Now, this is something that I want to also bring up. We are still in Web 2.5 right now, so to speak as if we know all the things that are going to happen because of Web 3 is just it's silly. That would be like at the beginning of the internet saying that we predicted, um, you know, we predicted TikTok. It's just, it, it was so far outside the scope of what Web, what Web 1.0 was used for that we didn't have any, any context for it. And I think that's a lot of what's going to happen with Web 3. Right now, if you're interested in Web 3, you're still very, very early. I'd say you're still basically an early adopter. And what we're using it for now is going to be a small, small percentage of what will happen in the future. So keep that in mind as you start to envision and imagine things. Now, to be sure... Web, web, web3 is not going to solve every problem that's been created with the internet up to this point. And our lords and masters who monopolize the digital world are not going to give up their position lightly. They are going to create new tools that work with Web3 in an attempt to retain as much of our information and as much control as they can because that's their business model. And the evolution of this technology will give the average person a new set of tools to create a more private, secure, and personalized internet experience that Web2 does not offer currently. And all of this is leading to our adoption of the metaverse, which is the inter interconnection between physical and digital reality upon which humans will build a new layer of existence. Now, I encourage you to take ownership of this unique time in history by being more than a consumer. Become an active creator of this technology by learning about everything that interests you in this fascinating modern renaissance. Number two, financial sovereignty. Let's talk about financial sovereignty, specifically cryptocurrency. So if you invested $1,000 in Amazon at their IPO in 1997, it would be worth over how much, Prince? How much do you think? 
if you invest $1,000 in Amazon at their IPO in 1997, how much would that $1,000 be worth today? Okay, well, that would be great. It'd be 1.1 million, but it's still, <laughs> I mean, what, 1.1 isn't good enough for you? But still, I mean, that's now that's amazing, right? Now, Web3, if you think about that, right? Web3 is creating an entirely new stock market with all the technology we've built since then. And these new stocks are assets called cryptocurrencies. That's a way to think about this. So if you're still thinking about what is crypto, what is crypto, basically just think about it's a whole new stock market. And some of the stocks are more like currencies. Others are essentially ownership in a company. But all of them are essentially assets that we can buy and trade and invest and hold just like a stock. The most well-known of these cryptocurrencies, and there are many, is called Bitcoin, as everyone knows, just unless you've been living under a rock. You've undoubtedly heard about it by now. And this is the single best performing asset in the history of humanity, which is really interesting because it hasn't been around long, but it has been here. Since it has been here, it's done quite well, even with its tremendous volatility. Now, it's founded in 2009, and it's gone from around $100 per coin in 2013 to nearly 70000 at its all-time high in October 2021. In 2022, right now, it's somewhere around 40. It's hovering around 40, depending on what day you're looking at and where it can go from there. We don't know. It might go down. It might go up. It's probably going to go up. And just when you look at the trend over time, it has massive volatility in the short term. In the midterm, it has moderate growth. And in the long term, it has substantial exponential growth. So there's a difference. And I'm, I know I'm diverting here a bit, but I want everyone to think about the difference between risk and volatility. Now, obviously, there's there's risk in, in all investing, but when you look at the asset class itself that's going up over time, over and over and over again, it doesn't really look that risky. It look, what it looks like is volatile because it goes up and down so frequently on the day-to-day. -day. So it has a lot of short-term volatility, but long-term, it looks like a great asset. Now, when you compare that to, for instance, the US dollar, the US dollar doesn't really feel as volatile because a gallon of milk costs the same today as it does tomorrow usually, although if you look at gas prices in quarter two, 2022, you'd see, it would seem like the, vol the dollar was quite volatile. Um, although if you look long-term, short-term it doesn't seem so bad, long-term the dollar has been consistently dropping in purchasing power, especially since we, we um, disconnected from the gold standard since 1971 when we dropped the gold standard. And now the gallon of milk that costs 25 cents costs $4.50. So a dollar goes a lot shorter than it used to. So I don't know, risk versus volatility. I see Bitcoin as volatile, but maybe not as risky as the dollar, which isn't quite as volatile, but damn looks risky. So all that to say, Everybody has a friend who has a friend who got in early to Dogecoin or some other crypto and made disgusting gains, and I hate all of them for it. And it's not just about individual coins, though. This is about understanding that a whole new layer of wealth is accessible to those who are willing to dig in. Now, many overlook the magnitude of a huge tech shift because it doesn't match with their worldview. And the same thing has been happening since the internet started. But here I am typing on my network-connected mobile supercomputer. So lean into this time for fun and for profit. And if you look uh, in, the, in the graph that I have in the attached manifesto, you'll see that for context, you, if you look at the adoption of cryptocurrency today versus the adoption of internet in the 90s, we are actually, uh, we are basically doing 1997 all over again, but we're going faster. And crypto technology is already the fastest rate of adoption of any technology in human history, which basically we are increasing at 113% per year, as opposed to 63% per year from for the internet. So we're going, crypto technology is being adopted about double as fast as internet technology was adopted. And think about how fast that was adopted. 
if you look, if you just read the crypto news every day, I'm not making this up. Big brands are making crypto products, you know, on the regular now, whether it's an NFT, Burger King's doing NFTs, freaking Chili has a coin, Chili's has a coin, all this stuff, you know, uh, El Salvador, the country is now buying and selling Bitcoin regularly. Like this is happening. Now, this is according to a tweet, a tweet from uh, Raul Paul. He said, one of the key features of network effect models is volatility within a logarithmic trend. The volatility is a feature, not a bug, as it's more than compensated by the returns over time. Think about, I'm going to read that again. One of the key features of network effect models is volatility with a logarithmic trend. The volatility is a feature, not a bug, as it is more than compensated by the returns over time. As long as the participants in the network keep growing over time, the value of the network rises exponentially. Generally speaking, the more volatility the price has, the higher the return over time if the network grows. Considering the chart above, which is in the manifesto if you read this, assumes a slowdown in adoption as more people come in. The only question you really need to ask yourself is whether the adoption is going to slow massively or not. Even if we do slow to 63% per year, we still get to a billion users by 2026. Not users referring to crypto wallet holders, basically people who are actively using crypto. So I think that's a very interesting and valid observation. It seems that as the network continues to grow, it ensures that the, the value of that network continues to go up just because the more people plugged into the network, the more intrinsic value it has. If, if we're just talking about Bitcoin, but um, if, if cryptocurrency in general has a billion people in it, that cryptocurrency network will be worth a lot more because there are more people attached to it, interested in it, checking on it, involved in it, using it. So that makes sense to me. So every dollar, euro, and yen you're holding in your accounts right now is losing value by the day backed by institutions which are becoming weaker. This is if you're holding money in fiat currency. The government reports how many jobs they create for the economy on a monthly basis, but the gag is that massive inflation is making the cost of living so expensive that many Americans need to keep two jobs to keep up. So crypto is not just beating inflation, it's spanking it, even with the volatility. Now, this is true, of course, over the mid and the long term. If you look day to day, you'll say, oh, no, Bitcoin dropped today. But again, compare that to dollars and see how you feel in a few years. We're still at the beginning of this boom. But if you don't begin putting systems in place to take part in this financial revolution, you're going to get left behind. And there's going to be no one to blame but yourself. I personally recommend that you obviously do your own research and what you want to put your money into. And then you dollar cost average it. You can go on a simple thing like Coinbase if you're in the US and you can say, I want to put $100 a month into Bitcoin and it will automatically withdraw the money and just do it for you. You don't need to think about it. And then you're already investing in what's happening. Your money will continue to grow as it invests uh, you know, automatically. And as the price of the coin goes up, then your money will too. And I did a deep dive on the base of, basics of crypto in episode seven of the podcast. So if you check that out, you'll be able to read it. So that is my total take on financial sovereignty with crypto in this manifesto. Now, let's talk uh, personal sovereignty, specifically uh, self-defense, home defense, emergency first aid. Again, talking about this, uh, this entire manifesto, what are, we, what are we really hitting on? We're hitting on technological sovereignty. We're hitting on uh, financial sovereignty. We're hitting on personal sovereignty. And this is all in the context of the world is changing. How can we continue to protect ourselves? What are the important things to be thinking about? You know, oftentimes we're so buried in our work. We're so locked into whatever it is that we're doing that we, we don't even take a, a, a breath. We don't even lift our heads up to look at what's happening. And by the time we look up, five or 10 years has passed. We say, oh, shit, I'm, not, I'm underprepared. You know, this is why we're talking about this now. So 
times are stranger than ever. And I think for the last two years, there have really been riots all over the country, especially during 2020 and all over the world. And no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, there has been something to riot about. And these things have gotten downright scary in some places. Now, where I live in Portland, uh, they breed, I would think, the most aggressive type of liberals that you're ever going to meet. And they love freedom so much, they are willing to kill you for it. And hey, wait a minute, that sounds like a conservative value. We're getting we're getting our values mixed up. Isn't it funny how it seems like the 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 liberal states and the the blue states became during those lockdowns more of the conservative states with not letting people go outside, and then the conservative states became the liberal states with letting people go outside. And I think that really just shows you the terminology is really just it's just a terminology. It's really just a they're just labels, but really you want to look at people's actions, you know. So I'm getting myself confused. The lines are so blurred. This is this is like a post-politics world. Um, I remember I was down there uh, during 2020. I saw this uh, this big sign um, downtown Portland. And they said, uh, we, we don't want Biden. We want revenge. And it just, just cracked me up, man. But, um, you know, in my opinion, now is a critical time to learn self-defense, home defense, and emergency first aid, if you haven't already been doing that. And these are vital skills which are... Um, which are agnostic of political belief. These are essentials, which we typically outsource to more responsible parties, right? And CNN reports that violent crime is on the rise in in America due to police walkouts after the fallout from uh, 2020 and the riots across the country. And whether or not that narrative matches with your personal experience, the truth is that you're ultimately responsible for protecting yourself and your family. So when it comes to self-defense, I recommend first learning the basics of hand-to-hand combat, beginning with Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast. And this will teach you what it's like to fight under pressure. So speaking for myself here, one of the biggest causes of insecurity in men is that many of us never receive any real training in self-defense. And this causes a hole in our identity, which we try to fill with external indicators of power, but never actually solves the problem, which is lack of true self-knowledge. And If you've never been into a physical altercation, you don't know what you're capable of or what you're not capable of, and that just leaves a gap. And uh, many of us who were raised by single mothers were taught to be complete pacifists who avoid confrontation, or maybe we were in a family where we had both of our parents, but the way that they responded to to being uh, treated poorly or even to being directly abused was just to shut down and to avoid and to completely completely obfuscate. You know, this often leads to deep subconscious fear that any alter altercation that could become physical, we wouldn't be able to handle. And that's something I think, if not acknowledged consciously, does subconsciously exist in a lot of men's minds. Now, even worse, many of us have also learned the idea of fighting through watching violent movies. So this is the opposite side of the spectrum, which creates a distortion of what dangerous confrontations feel like in reality. So it's like you watch these movies and you have this this idea for what a fight would be like, and then you're you're wildly surprised by what it's like in reality. And martial arts solves these problems by kind of healing that little wounded boy, right, who's afraid of the unknown, and also connecting the dots. That's that's a spiritual and a philosophical a philosophical um, approach to martial arts, but I think it's a, a reality for many men. And it teaches us to think clearly in uncomfortable or dangerous situations. And it really shows us who we are underneath it all. These skills transcend fighting and bleed into all areas of life. Um, and a lot of times that's why they call it the Tao, which literally means the way. And once you understand the concepts of martial arts at a core level, they tend to show up in everywhere. And the self-confidence is transferable. I have found some of my greatest moments of peace and revelation on the mats in the middle of a struggle. And all this uh, really has healed a hole that's 
that that was coming from not knowing what I was capable of in a dangerous situation. And I wish the same brothers who are reading this, but more importantly, I wish that you learn how to fuck somebody up if they get into your face. And that's just part of taking care of yourself. Take care of others too. Know what you can do. And it gives you the sense of confidence. And uh, men or women should definitely at least be training to blue belt. So blue belt's the second belt. That is the belt where, you know, if you're going up with someone who is untrained, you should be quite able to handle them. Um, and obviously, like, it doesn't take into account weapons. It doesn't take into account the first response, which is to get out of the situation. I'm not saying train to beat people up. What I'm saying is you don't know what's going to happen on the day-to-day. And we've seen that the world itself has been kind of breaking down a little bit. And wouldn't it be nice to be able to defend yourself if something happens? And you don't train for a fight tomorrow. You train for a fight in 10 years that comes out of nowhere, you know? And I've had a few fights, um, or not fights, but a few potentials that I've avoided um, within the past five years. And a few things that could have gotten a little weird, I got out of that situation. But maybe in the next time, <laughs> I'll have to deal, deal with it. And so, um, you know, it's always something I like to think about. And uh, I train for it. So. Let's talk about home defense too. This goes in line with new wave thinking. I would highly recommend taking some handgun classes. I've been doing that in uh, in Oregon here with my wife. And I think you should definitely learn the laws in your city and your state. And just get very familiar with operating a weapon for the protection of your home and your family. You know, getting a concealed carry permit is never a bad idea. Although I'm not sure having it to move around is fine. I'm not sure I would personally want to carry because I think that it tends to bring more problems with it than solutions. You know, if, if you bring a gun, if, if you're the one with the gun, it's now a gunfight, whether or not you're the one using the gun, if you catch my meaning. There's always a possibility that you can get the gun taken from you. And um, oftentimes, you know, it, it's it's not really necessary. However, I think there's a whole group of people who like to conceal carry. And I, you know, I think that there's, um, you know, there's a valid, there's a valid point to that. But either way, I think you should definitely be comfortable with knowing how to handle a gun. The, I know that for people who have never used one before, it's scary because it's a very dangerous thing. But as with anything that's truly dangerous, you have to create a respect around it. And respect doesn't mean that you don't handle it. It just means that you are confident and know what you're doing so that you can keep yourself safe and you can use it confidently. You can use it effectively. And look, this might sound weird, but if you go back even just 100 years, most people in a household knew how to use a gun, especially if we were in a, like a rural area where there was hunting and where you were, where the police weren't going to come and help. Because that's the thing too. As I said earlier in this section, oftentimes we like to outsource our defense and protection to more responsible parties, quote, more responsible parties. But at the end of the day, there's no one who's more responsible for you than you. So understanding how to use a weapon could be quite useful for you. It doesn't mean that you are looking to hurt anybody. It means that you know that if someone breaks the barrier of your house, you can take the ultimate last step if you have to. And oftentimes just seeing a weapon is <laughs> a deterrent for people. Now, I didn't grow up with uh, guns in the house, but I did grow up in Florida and I've always felt it was completely reasonable to use deadly force when protecting yourself in your own home, given life-threatening situations. So I don't play. And it depends, on, again, know your local laws because they all have various degrees of how much they consider a life-threatening situation. According to the National Conference of State Legislators, self-defense laws in at least 23 states, which I'll read them out here. Uh, let's see. So these, so these are the states that provide civil immunity under certain self-defense circumstances. That means that if someone comes into your house and you feel like your life is being threatened, they're going to provide pretty broad protection to you. And I'm sure you'll laugh at some of these states. So Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Montana, 
New Hampshire, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, West Virginia, Wisconsin. So it's funny because what states aren't in there? Freaking Oregon where I'm at, California, New York. These are mostly the southern, I'd say the southwestern, the midwestern, and the southern states. Most of the coasts on either California, Washington, or Oregon, or then most places in New England or or New York, you know, those places aren't going to be very uh, liberal with gun laws. But in these states, basically what they're saying is if someone comes into your house and there's a you felt threatened, good luck to them. So I think it's useful to know these things. And of course, at the very least, go to the range, practice, it's healthy for you, okay? Next thing too, when it comes to personal sovereignty, protecting yourself, is emergency first aid. If you're going to learn how to defend yourself and your family, you'd better learn how to patch them up too. And there's classes you can take to learn basic first aid in serious situations where a calm mind and a quick response can make all the difference. Now, sometimes life and death comes down to a single decision made within minutes of an injury. So don't be caught trying to look up basic shit online when something goes down. And I'm not perfect in this. There's also, uh, you know, there's, there's also, there's like CPR classes you can take. There are survival classes and courses you can take. I highly recommend looking into this stuff. It doesn't mean you have to do it tomorrow, but add this to your midterm list of, of priorities. Because if you need it, if, if, you, if you never end up needing any of these things, then the only thing you lose is the time invested. Yeah, so we'll take some time and money. It's generally not too expensive to learn how to shoot or learn how to, uh, to you know, suture up a wound or learn how to do a Heimlich. It's, you know, jujitsu, that type of stuff. It, it's, it's expensive in time. It's usually not that expensive in money. But what you will find is that if you do ever need to use any of these skills, you won't have lost much acquiring them. But what you gain in that time when you actually need to use them is usually between life and death. Just like when, you know, you don't need to learn much to start investing in stocks or cryptocurrency, uh, but what you gain, the outsized reward uh, for the time spent is huge. So that's what I encourage you to think about. Hey there. Did you know that this isn't a podcast you're listening to? Okay, let me be more clear. This isn't just a podcast you're listening to. See, by listening to this show, you're actually part of the New Wave community. And because of that, I really want to meet you, IRL, in real life. Wouldn't it be nice to spend some time in a beautiful location, maybe a mansion by the sea with a chef-catered dinner, knowledgeable friends who really want to help you, a cello playing in the background, and, you know, an overall great ambiance? Doesn't that sound gorgeous? Well, we just created that at a recent New Wave dinner in LA, and I want you to be part of the next one. See, these dinner experiences are for entrepreneurs, career climbers, and creatives who want to build friendships with each other in real time, in real life, not just spending time chatting on the internet. We want to actually feel each other's presence, and we spend time together uh, bringing our business problems, bringing our half-baked ideas, bringing our creative questions. Then over a, a wonderfully catered meal, we work together as a group to help, help each other untie these knots and dial in our focus. And afterwards, we go and relax. We take a dip in a pool. I always got a place with a pool or a jacuzzi, have some drinks. We do a little bit of partying. And you will leave this experience with connections and brand new ideas and budding relationships. And you might even find your next co-founder or your next investor sitting right next to you. But more importantly, you are going to leave with a jumping off point, some momentum to go into this next phase of your life, this next chapter, uh, some new ideas that you didn't have before, something that's been enhanced that you know you have confidence in. Now you're gonna build that inner 
momentum. And that's what's so important. And of course, when you're there, I'm also gonna bless you with some new wave merch. If you've been looking at my photos, I'm constantly making new merch and new gear just to show the community that, you know, we got something special going here. So make sure you check out the next new wave dinner experience. Now we're doing these all over the country and potentially all over the world. We did our first one in LA. We're gonna be doing them in Austin, New York, Miami, and a few other cities. Plus, most likely we're gonna hit the UK or Europe. So make sure you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com to check out all the dates. We'll have them all listed there. And of course, you can uh, you can sign up. There's gonna be about 10 to 12 people per location. So this isn't a massive um, conference. This is a 10 to 12 person event. And that means that it's purposely designed for you to meet people, to engage with them, and to have a whole hell of a lot of fun. So make sure you check out newwaveentrepreneur.com to get all the dates and locations for the next one. I, I believe, depending on when you're listening to this, the next one is in Austin this summer and it'll be all over the country. So sign up and now let's get to the episode. Okay, let's talk about this last piece when it comes to sovereignty, when it comes to the new wave and what this manifesto is all about, what this uh, what this, this um, way of moving in this new world is all about, how we're gonna navigate. Let's talk about mental and spiritual sovereignty, specifically meditation, therapy, and psychedelics. Oh, the last thing I'll say too about that, uh, about just the idea of defending yourself and your family. Uh, there's a phrase or there's a there's a line that says, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Think about that one. I'd take it to heart. So mental and spiritual sovereignty. Now is the time to elevate your mind and your spirit, especially as the world is having its own uh, turbulence. Now is the time to develop practices that will bring you closer to personal perfection and focus on your mental health. So for me, that includes meditation, breath work, traditional therapy, and using psychedelics as a medium of expanding my consciousness. I very strongly believe that everyone who is medically able should experience a psychedelic journey that shatters their personal reality, aka personality. What types of psychedelics should you try? Well, again, I emphatically employ you to do your own research. I say that for me, um, I've tried things like 5-MeO-DMT. I've tried psilocybin, I've tried LSD, and these have all had profound effects on my life. And uh, sacred medicines such as these can heal trauma, they can cure depression, they can provide incredible insight, and frankly, they can be a lot of fun. And they've changed my personality forever. And I have had many interactions with these medicines, and I've taken uh, both of my parents into these ceremonies as well. This stuff works. Um, I've recounted some of my experiences in an extremely well-received podcast episode, which was labeled What It's Like to Die. And I'm going to let you guys uh, tap into that if you want, but I will read a small piece from that. And uh, what what I will highlight here is that in some of these experiences, in psychedelic experiences, in these spaces, you will um, you will experience your the ego death, which is basically just your identity that you've attached your name to and all your experiences. That is loosely your ego. And you'll feel at certain points that that is no longer here. And when that's no longer here, all you have is this universal awareness of the fact that we're all connected. And so that's it, basically you experience death, but not the death of your physical body, the death of the concept of you. And so that's the idea I tried to bring to this essay, what it's like to die. I'll read you a quick snippet of that to get this feeling for this. And I want you to get this feeling because I want you to be encouraged to try these things. And by the way, uh, some of these, these experiences that I am highlighting here just know that you don't actually need psychedelics to achieve these states. And I've not only heard that from others, but felt that myself. 
oftentimes psychedelics will open the doorway for you and then you can keep going back in through the normal channels once you've had some experience getting to that space. But oftentimes it's kind of like Peter Pan and you have to go to Neverland before you can go back and it's first star on the left straight on till morning or it's first star on the right. See, I already forgot. I think it's first star on the right and straight on till morning, but you have to go there to be able to go back and you need the pixie dust, which might be in the DMT in this case. Okay, so this is what it's like to die. Imagine your spirit woven into the collective spirit of every other being that has ever lived or ever will live instantly endowing you with the knowledge of every word that's ever been thought, said, or written, now and in the future. Once you move beyond the self, all fear dissolves. And just when you think you can't take anymore, you'll break into a trillion mirrored pieces and shoot through the other side of infinity, down the spiral, radiating tube. You emerge on the other side of what I can only describe as a divinely loving celestial void. Except there is no you. There is the presence of God with no form. It knows you because you are it. It's a homecoming. It's a looking in the mirror. The entire act is self-referential. You will realize that you are God. Now, when I said that, people got mad. People said, oh, that's so blasphemous. What a piece of shit. You're not God. Nah, 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 nah. And, you know, I remember as I was, when I was a kid, and this is how I knew I was always a little weird and different. I specifically remember, and you got to understand, I grew up in Florida and a lot of Baptists in Florida, a lot of Southern Baptists. And I just remember how secure even these young elementary and middle schoolers and high schoolers were of this God. And I, I would think to myself, well, especially around the time that 9-11 happened, this is uh, an important inflection point in my young life. I remember thinking if the people who flew the planes into those buildings were as secure in their God as this Baptist person is telling me that they are in in and theirs, then there clearly must be some clash. There must be someone's wrong here and they don't know it. And then I started to hear that, well, in Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism, technically they're talking about all the same God, which they're talking about the one God, and they're all talking about the same God, but they have different books, or at least Judaism and Christianity share the same book, but then Christianity has a different book on top of that. And so it's like there's no there's no realization that we're all talking about the same thing. And if that's the case, then any type of ill feeling towards each other is completely misplaced. And the medicines really helped me to see that because when your personality goes away, your personal reality is shattered, you see, oh, I am just another perspective of, I am an, I am an individual perspective of God recognizing itself. It's like, that's why they call it the God head, because if there are infinite heads of God, we're all just self referential. It's all looking at yourself through the, through a unique perspective, but you are God. Um, I know that some people are not going to vibe with that message, but the reality is when you feel that on an internal level, that was something that was given to me, that was that was passed to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't make that up. That was something that was uh, directly transmitted to me. So these are medicines are, are powerfully, powerfully healing. And if you can medically handle them, you should absolutely try. And uh, if this is an interest of study that interests you, I've done two podcasts. One was with Paul Austin, who runs The Third Wave, which is a, a very well-known resource on psychedelic education. And the other one is with William Padilla Brown, who is also known as Permaculture Poppy, who is a, a fantastic, um, not only a knowledge resource on psychedelics, uh, but also a um, like a like a mycologist. So he is an expert in growing fungi, including uh, psilocybin mushrooms, and he talks all about that. So make sure you check out our show and you can see which episodes uh, those appear on. So come to think of it, 
I think they should pass a law that requires all presidents to consume a gigantic dose of LSD after they take the oath of office because it's pretty hard to drop bombs in other countries when you realize that we're all one, isn't it? Well, I think that that really, that really sets the tone for this show and why we're doing it. That is the manifesto. Let's talk about those four elements quickly. You have the idea of technological sovereignty, which is the ability to control your information, the ability to control your uh, communication and your data. Okay. You also have the idea of financial sovereignty, which is the ability to control your money and the ability to get in right now on a new financial system that is um, that's growing and that you can that you can participate in from the ground floor. Okay, that's why it's so important. You also have personal sovereignty, self-defense, home defense, emergency first aid, understanding that you are ultimately responsible for protecting yourself and your family. You know, there are there are there is no more responsible party than you. And we have to get out of that mindset, especially when we see that police response times are going up and up and up in major cities. Different conversation. And of course, we have uh, we have spiritual sovereignty. And this includes this isn't just about psychedelics. Okay, I was talking to my mom. <laughs> oh God, uh, I got home from Austin. And I said, Mom, I tried MDMA and ketamine in Austin. She said, click. <laughs> Hello? Hello? She said, if you're going to keep doing this stuff, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I said, first of all, this is not new, okay? I'm like 35. Second of all, you've done the DMT with me, so don't pretend like you're so pure and you're so clean, okay? You've done the ayahuasca. You've done it, so don't act. But she, she's so... She's very earth. She's, she loves earth and she wants to stay on earth. She doesn't want to go out of earth. And I even asked her the other day, I said, you know, if there are aliens, wouldn't you want to know? And she said, no, I don't want to know. She said, uh, she said why? I said, I said, why? She said, because I would be too scary. <laughs> and I said, well, what's wrong with being afraid? She said, I'm afraid to be afraid. I said, oh, that is an insight right there. How many of us are afraid to be afraid? So hopefully this manifesto will give you some things to think about so that you can start preparing and you won't need to be afraid because you're prepared. Because if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. But that's all we have for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it for you. That's all I got. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on whatever channel you're listening to this on, Spotify, iTunes. Make sure you leave a comment and review. Make sure that you uh, go to newwaveentrepreneur.com to check out everything we're doing, including the free guides that we have, including the community discord and sign up to that email list. That's it, my friends. The water is warm. The tide is rising. So everyone jump on in and surf this new wave. Daniel 